This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Friday program. Believe it or not, another whole week has gone by and gone by really, really quickly. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And what we do here on AM 630 The Word is take your phone calls and answer your questions about the Bible, questions about our faith, what we believe and why. Um, Maybe something's causing you some difficulties in your life. We'll do the best that we can to use the Word of God to answer those questions. Here are our phone numbers, 340-9585. That's 340-9585. You can also call us toll-free if you're outside the local area by calling 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. Uh, you can send questions in via email by uh, emailing questions at calvarysa.com. You can also use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. And if you're driving in your car, as I tell you every day, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app, and you'll be connected directly to the studio producer. Once more, 340-9585. Because it's Friday, uh, tonight here at Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, we're going to be having our our um, Friday night Bible study. Um, first and foremost, um, Acts chapter 13 tonight, uh, and then uh, Romans chapter 14 on Sunday. Very important study Sunday because we're going to be talking about legalism and Christians getting along with one another in the body of Christ. Loving one another has been the common theme. Tonight is a very special message just for me. It probably won't be for anybody else, but just for me uh, because it's Paul embarking on his first missionary journey. And uh, I can't help but go back to that time uh, nearly 23 years ago now when when uh, Paul and I landed here in San Antonio, Texas and had no idea what we were on the verge of. Um, no idea about what God wanted to do. We were here. We were sure we were sent by God. And it looked really, really bleak. And at times it got really, really hard. But all the while, God was doing a great work. And uh, at first, first and foremost, that work was in us, in our hearts. Um, but if we'd only known what life was going to look like nearly 23 years later, um, wow, we, we wouldn't have been able to believe it. Well, imagine for the Apostle Paul, who is literally going to change the world. Well, tonight he embarks on that first missionary journey. Uh, great, great, great um, section of Scripture. Let me get to some questions that we have sent in. Here are some pretty good ones that we've been given. Here is one from our email inbox from Kirby. 
Um, Pastor Ron, is there a connection between the fall of man and his role with Satan as a serpent in Genesis chapter 3? The changing of how creation was meant to be and what creation should look like as is seen in Isaiah 11, 6 through 9. I assume that is a picture of the millennium. You're right about Isaiah chapter 11. Let me read this because this is just magnificent. Um, when Jesus is ruling and reigning, and uh, I'll, I'll go a few verses back because it is, um, speaking of the Lord, it says in, in chapter 11, verse 4 of Isaiah, with righteousness, he will judge the needy with justice. He will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. Now, I, I know that's not the scriptures. It's just before uh, the ones you asked about, Kirby. But I want you to think about this for a moment. That's Jesus. And we're going to rule and reign with him. We're, we're going to be in some way that's almost impossible to explain. We're, we're going to be in some way responsible for uh, the justice, the decisions that are going to be meted out. We're going to be the ones that get to balance the scales when it comes to the rich versus the poor. Um, righteousness will also be our belt in the millennial kingdom. But here's the result of that justice, that righteousness. It says the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat and the calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. And the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You know, in the millennial reign, things are going to be so perfect. The curse reversed. Jesus ruling and reigning in righteousness, Kirby, that we're going to have that wonderful, wonderful environment where it will be perfect and just and righteous for a thousand years. For a thousand years, if you can only imagine that. Now, in Genesis, when that was all changed, um... The curse was instituted because of what Adam did. Um, that's what has to be reversed in a just and perfect, as perfect as a restored creation can be. Uh, it won't be perfect like it was initially until the new heaven and the new earth is created after the thousand years. But this is a picture of exactly what creation was meant to look like. No animals eating other animals. Um, the the land, the earth, providing for all of the needs of its inhabitants, both human and animal. So the fall of man ruined it all, including ruin the serpent. You will lie on your belly. You will be on the dirt. Was part of the curse. So it is a picture of the millennium. And the only connection, Kirby, I think, is that one is. Um, a picture of what it's supposed to be like and then how humans messed it up. I hope that helps, Kirby. 340-9585. You know, one of the things that it's hard for us to imagine, we, we see bad things that happen. And I get calls on this radio program all the time. And those bad things that happen, God most often gets blamed for. 
uh, you've heard the questions on this radio program. Why does God allow evil to happen? I get those questions weekly. Um, Why didn't God protect me? Or why didn't God stop somebody from hurting me? Um, God doesn't do those things. All the evil, the wickedness in this world is a result of a fallen creation. Jesus is the answer to that fallen creation. That's why we who are Christians ought to be praying, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus, because that's what awaits us. And that we get to be a part of it in the millennium, Kirby, is an exciting thing for me. I hope that helps. Here is a question from our email inbox from Nacho. Uh, this question is is amazing. It's, it's a comment, really, but... Um, he says, in an article today in the news reported, uh, it was reported in the news about a female rabbi, and then in parentheses he writes, is there such a thing in the Jewish faith? There is. I think we have a female rabbi here in San Antonio. But those are always really, really liberal congregations. And by liberal, I mean that they don't really believe the Word of God. They don't really take it seriously. They allegorize a bunch of it. You know, there are very liberal Christians who take the Word of God as a as a sort of a, a suggested way to live our lives. They pick out what they like and what they don't like. They throw away. Um, there's always higher critics. There's always uh, a, a distorted view of the Word. Uh, in this particular case, there are female rabbis, and just like there are female pastors, and they're not supposed to be either. Um, but in this article, uh, she wrote a book whose theme I cannot wrap my head around. Its central thesis is that God, sal- God somehow sexually harassed Eve, and that Eve is the first case of hashtag me too. She writes, I want you to think about this. Here is a young, beautiful, intelligent, naked woman living in a state of grace. Uh, by the way, she wasn't living in a state of grace. In perfection, there was no grace that was necessary. Uh, the writer continues, she's hungry, so she does the most natural thing in the world and eats a piece of fruit. For following her instincts, for trusting herself and nourishing her body, she's punished. Her punishment? She'll never again feel safe in her nakedness. She'll never again love her body. She'll never again know her body is a place of sacred sovereignty. What have you done? God thunders. Eve wants to defend herself, but she's too ashamed to speak. Eve, our first mother, listen to this now. Eve, our first mother, whose name means the mother of all living things, is silence, much the way the patients of Dr. Nasser were. Now, before I continue, Dr. Nasser, of course, is the Olympic uh, gymnast doctor who has been in the news, all over the news, recently convicted to upwards of 140 years in in prison for sexually assaulting um, I think at this point over 150 uh, of his patients, the, the, the young girls who were in uh, in gymnastics. Um, and Eve is silence, this writer says. She continues her attack to make her point. This God, this man-made figurehead of the patriarchy, is not my God. He is a fiction, a man-made myth, but yet one so powerful that it's poisoned and limited our notion of what God the truly divine is and can be, especially for women. It's time for the one truly loving, compassionate God, the God who wants nothing more than to see Eve to rise and resume her place as a mother of all living things to make herself seen, known, and available to all of us. The God I believe in is all-loving. God is a divine source of life and healing, not shame and abandonment. End of quote. Now, here's um, 
Nacho's response. I do not know where to go with that. How can people of a knowledge of God be able to stand on such a blaspheming thought? Uh, Nacho, a couple of things. Paul and I have a saying at our house, uh, if people won't believe the truth, they'll believe anything. And this is just absolute insanity. It's craziness. And yet the world will jump on this and hail her as a thoughtful, considerate, religious person. Well, this is a person who doesn't know anything about God. You ask, how can someone with the knowledge of God, that's the whole key here, Nacho. She has no knowledge of God at all. And we don't get to make up who God is. I, I think that's one thing that's so frustrating to me when I hear people say, well, my God is this or my God is that. Uh, she says, uh, my God is is uh, completely different than the God who's been revealed to us. Well, she doesn't get to make that choice. You see, we're to be conformed to God Im- God's image. We have no right to conform God into our image, and yet that's what Christians, uh, professing Christians, try to do all the time. That's what Jews try to do. Every religion in this world tries to make God into who they want him to be. Well, we don't get that choice. And so the first thing that we need to do for a woman like this is pray for her. Understand that she is so very, very lost. And I think sometimes we who are Christians think that, well, just because somebody's Jewish, they know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they do not. In the same way, you remember Jesus criticized, harshly criticized, the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees of his day because he said they don't know God, and yet they looked like they knew God. They pretended to know God. Jesus said, if you were Abraham's seed, you'd listen to me. But they weren't. He told them that their father was the devil, the father of lies. And we have this tendency to think that, well, just because they're Jewish and Israel is God's chosen nation, well, they somehow are going to be okay or they have knowledge of God. They have no knowledge of God. If you do not believe in Jesus Christ, and this is something that we need to declare from the rooftops, Christians, If you do not know Jesus Christ, you know nothing about God. There's no way that we can know God apart from Jesus Christ. So, Nacho, this is just somebody who has no clue about who God is. And like uh, many uh, male and females, uh, certainly this is true, even in the so-called feminist movement inside the Church of Jesus Christ. These are people that don't know God. Let me say this, and then I'll get off my soapbox here and go on to other questions. We need to remember always that when we call him Lord, we're submitting to him as the rule maker. There's no suggestion box in heaven. There's no place for us to give our input or our opinion. And this is a woman who I think Jesus would address the same way he addressed the Pharisees when he said, be careful, there's only one sin that's unforgivable, that's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. This is a woman who is very, very close to being cut off for eternity from God. Remember, we don't make the rules, we follow them. That's what Christians, real believers do. And that's not Pastor Ron's view. That's what the Bible teaches. Let me say one final thing. I always tell my church all the time, let me say one final thing, and then there's two. Well, now you know what it's like to come to church at Calvary Chapel. Final thing. If we don't believe that the Bible is God's Word, not contains God's Word, not 
contains some of God's word, but that it is literally God's word revealed to us, then we're all going to get goofy in our theology. You know, when I tell people in church, when I tell people on this radio program, you know, we don't have an opinion that matters. Our only responsibility is to agree with God. People really get upset with me because we live in a world where at least it appears our opinions are valued. Our Jesus cares nothing about your opinion. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. And there's no basis for obedience. There's no basis for a relationship with God apart from being obedient. Then Acts 5.32 says God gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey. So I hope that answers your question, Nacho. I appreciate it very, very much. Pray for this lady. I don't even know who she is, but pray for her. Uh, from San Antonio, Texas, Brenda's on line one. Brenda, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yes, um, I have a question, kind of a two-part question. I wonder if you could um, comment on the description, Peter... I don't have a verse in front of me regarding women as the weaker vessel. Mm-hmm. And the second part of that is, does that relate in some ways to the role of women in the church and in the home? Okay. The role that we have as women in the church. I can do that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, when Peter talks about um, honoring um, women as the weaker vessel. It's a, it's a reference to their physical strength. Um, women are not told to submit to their husbands um, because they're weaker um, physically. Women aren't supposed to submit to their husbands because they're weaker or somehow inferior spiritually. Uh, the weaker vessel is just, this is the way we extend honor. Now, it's not just women who are the weaker vessel. We see somebody who is physically challenged or emotionally or mentally challenged. They, too, are to be treated with more honor. The person who comes in uh, to the sanctuary in, in old clothes uh, is to be able to sit down next to the person who's wearing a $1,000 suit. So the, the idea is we're to treat them as vessels of honor, like the weaker vessel, but that's only a reference to physical strength. There is nothing else at all. That's First Peter chapter 3, verse 7. But Brenda, it's nothing more than uh, a reference. Uh, how do we honor somebody? Well, if they're weaker than we are, we don't exploit them. We don't take advantage of our strength. Um, we, we treat them as instruments of honor. And this is a theme, by the way, that comes all the way through the Bible, Old Testament, New, uh, were to honor the widows and the orphans. In the Old Testament days, uh, widows and orphans uh, were, 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 I mean, you talk about being dealt a hard hand, uh, and the, the, the people of God were supposed to take care of them. And they were uh, uh, overwhelmed um, with the circumstances of life, and, and God dealt very harshly. I always think of the story of Ruth and Boaz, uh, Boaz cared for her so that Ruth wouldn't be on her own. But but the idea of uh, a weaker vessel, it has nothing to do with the roles that were given. The roles that were given, according to Paul, in um, um, the book of, of um, the, the pastoral epistles, First uh, Timothy, um, uh, is because Eve was the one who was deceived. Um, that was the pattern. Eve was deceived. Adam sinned with knowledge. 
But Eve was the one who was deceived. Now, she wasn't deceived because she was spiritually inferior, nor does it mean, I want to repeat this, that any woman is spiritually inferior or even more susceptible to being gullible or to being taken by the enemy uh, than we men are. Uh, we might have different emotions that trigger Satan's ability to, to destroy us, but uh, it has nothing to do with, with uh, superiority or inferiority. God simply assigns roles for the sake of order. Um, Jesus set the example for us. The head of Christ is God the Father. That's what Jesus said. Now, we know that they're equal. But Jesus considered, according to Philippians 2, equality with God not something to be grasped. So he subjugated himself. And by the way, he stays in that place of subjugation in his physical glorified body in heaven. It doesn't mean he's less than or not equal to God. It just means that he made that choice when he became a human being. Well, we're to set his example. We're to be, though husband and wives, men and women are equals, we are to honor the roles that God gave us. Now, here's something I think that is important, Brendan. I hope this sort of ties all of this in for you. The only role in church, as an example, that God precludes women from is the role of being a pastor. It's the only role. I do not permit a man, or I'm sorry, a woman to have authority, to teach or have authority over a man. Why? Because the role of pastor is is the responsibility, the job given by God uh, to a man. Now, I understand why women don't like that. I also understand, Brenda, why women don't like submitting to their husbands as the spiritual head of the household. But a house with two heads is, is sort of a freak show. So the idea is there has to be order. That doesn't make you less than your husband. That just makes you his partner. And if your husband is a godly leader in the home, then he is not only going to consider your opinion, he is going to put great value in your opinion. But what do partners do? Partners come together and they consider how they should respond as one flesh to God. Well, the way we respond is to do what he said. Now, when I tie this all in the Garden of Eden, there was only one tree, unlike the, 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 the question that I just read about the comments from that Jewish rabbi, that lady rabbi. Um, Eve didn't do the natural thing. The natural thing would have been to obey God. You see, every tree was given to Eve in the Garden. Everything produced great fruit. It wasn't like God had ugly things on the, all the other trees and there was only one tree with edible fruit on it. God gave them a tree of choice, is what I like to call it. And she rebelled against the one thing God prohibited from her. Well, in the same way, women who don't submit to their husbands, Brenda, or, excuse me, women who... Um, want to usurp the role of a pastor in a church. It's the same thing. There's one thing. They can do everything else in church. There's one thing that they can't do, yet that's the one thing our flesh wants. And so we take that for ourselves and we justify it culturally when, in fact, God's Word never changes. So 
The weaker vessel, again, only is a reference to physicality. And I don't think as a general rule, and I know a lot of women who are stronger than me. Paul and I were in the gym the other day, and there was this lady boxing. Uh, where there's a heavy bag in the gym. Paul and I like to hit on it for, for some time. But before we could get on it, there was this, this young woman who was boxing. And, and I looked at Paul and said, ooh, I wouldn't want to fight with her. You know, that woman could have whipped my rear end. So it's a general rule. And the idea is to bestow honor on the weaker vessel. Again, not spiritually or emotionally. This is a reference to the physical comparison in strength. And I think most of us would understand generally that that's true. So, Brenda, I hope that answers your question. You are uh, every bit as qualified uh, if you're married as your husband, if you're not married as your pastor. Um, God isn't isn't um, mad at women because of what Eve did. Uh, this was just the consequence of sin. You know, the other thing, and, and nobody ever mentions this, Brenda, but um, um, evidently having a baby was supposed to be a breeze, easy. And now part of the curse, we know what women go through. We call it labor. Uh, evidently, farming the ground was not to be hard work at all. It was either ground just produced itself suddenly, but there were many thorns and, and weeds choking out the, the crop, and it would take a lot of hard work. See, mankind ruined that which God established. And as a result, we're forever until Jesus returns subjugated to those roles. It's not because God doesn't think you can handle it. He just says, if you love me, you will obey me. And whenever we want to usurp authority that God hasn't given us or usurp position that God hasn't given us, we're simply saying, Jesus, we love you. Thanks for saving us, but not this. This isn't fair. One thing he's precluded from us. Thank you for the question, Brenda. I hope that answered it. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. We've got 30 minutes left in the program for the week. 340-9585. Back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the show. Phones have been quiet. We love your live calls. Thank you for calling, Brenda. 340-9585. Here's a question that just came in from our mobile app anonymously. Um, he or she says, I believe it's First Chronicles 4, the character Jabez. The Bible says he prayed to God to increase his lands, and he did. Doesn't this give credence to the prosperity teachers? Um, Anonymous, nothing gives credence to the prosperity teachers. Nothing at all. Let me just read this. This is an amazing thing. Uh, there was, a, I think he's a Southern Baptist pastor, Bruce Wilkinson, who sort of hit the jackpot. He hit a book. It struck a nerve. And you remember the, 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 the craziness that was going around churches. People were teaching the book of, of uh, the, 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 the book's title was The Prayer of Jabez. Uh, it was, I think, a 45 or 50 page uh, pamphlet. And yet it sold millions of copies. And it made its rounds throughout the churches. Um, there's two verses in all of Scripture about this man Jabez. 
Verse 9 in First Chronicles 4 says, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. Jabez, verse 10, Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. You know, uh, Anonymous, the thing that is never, never ceases to amaze me is that we would misunderstand this little bit of information. What God did for Jabez, he wants to do for all of us. We all, every day, should cry out, Lord, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. That, that doesn't mean we're asking for bigger bank accounts. It doesn't mean that God wants us to be rich. He says, let your hand be with me and keep me from harm, so I'll be free from pain. Well, sometimes God answers that prayer, and sometimes he doesn't. He didn't answer that prayer for Job. And Job, from God's own words, I have none like him. He alone is righteous. For some reason, for Jabez, God granted his request. Now, how we come up with anything more than that when this man is mentioned only in two verses in all of the Bible? What we should understand about this is that this speaks to the heart of God. He wants to bless us. I tell our church here all the time that we need, we really desperately need to not only expect God to bless us, but but to, to cry out in prayer for him to bless us. I tell my people all the time here that God wants to say yes to your prayers. And Jabez is just an example of that. But this isn't name it and claim it. Jabez cried out to the God of Israel in part because he was frightened. He understood something about God that, that, that God was good. And this is just an example of God answering a prayer. I always think of Martha and Mary at the tomb of Lazarus. Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Your brother will live. And they got to see that. Why? Because God answered that prayer. But there's many, many more examples of prayers that aren't answered that way. So no, there is no validity to any of the prosperity teachers and even that these two little vague verses were perverted in such a way that somebody would think that it does uh, indicates that we get some real problems in terms of the way we um, interpret our Bibles. This is just two verses that said that Jabez was more honorable. Um, he, he was given birth in pain to his mother. Um, his brothers maybe, who knows, abused him, and I don't mean in a physical way, but just uh, in, in, in just harassing sort of way. And God had mercy on him. I don't know why that would surprise any of us. We need to understand, all of us, that God is eager to say yes to our prayers. Here's a question from Chuck. Pastor on Romans 3 says, If there is no one good... Surely that's not true. How do you explain that? Well, um, I think, Chuck, the way we explain it is that we do what the Bible says. There's no one good. Now, in the context of Romans chapter 3, Paul is writing to Jews, and he's explaining to them throughout the gospel of the Romans that the good news that Paul offers in Romans is that um, being a Jew is good, but it's not enough. 
And he says, we've already made the charge that Jew and Gentile alike are all under sin. And then he says this, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. He continues, there's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Now, it's a remarkable statement, Chuck. We humans hate hearing it because we look at somebody and we consider that they are a good person. Uh, I know even Christians who still believe that basically mankind is good at heart, that there's, there, there are instinctively we're good and just people. But, but not only does the Bible mitigate against that, but our personal histories mitigate against that. There's no one who can look at the condition of the world and the cause for the condition of the world is humans and sin. Nobody can say that we're good. We need to remember that God is the one who said this, so if he said, as it is written, there's no one righteous, not even one, we've got to believe him. In fact, Paul so wants us to understand in Romans chapter 3, the, the, the entire book of Romans actually, our need for a Savior, that in this particular place, he quotes six different places in the Old Testament. From Psalm 14, no one who understands, no one who seeks God, there's no one who does good, not even one. God can't be any more clear than that. Now, here's again the problem. We compare ourselves to other people. And Chuck, if you're comparing yourself to me, I'm probably sure that you're a better person than I am. You see, I have no illusions about what I am in my flesh. I know my flesh stinks. I know that if I give in to my flesh, I can do every wicked thing I ever did before I got saved. Being a pastor for 23 years doesn't change that. My flesh hasn't gotten one bit better than it used to be. Why? Because in my flesh is nothing good. We've got to believe that. And here's why. Our standard of good is all wrong. Only God is good. Remember the rich young ruler? Good teacher, he said to him. Jesus said, why do you call me good? Well, what Jesus was doing was saying, this rich young ruler knows who I am. He knows I'm the Christ. He knows I'm God in human flesh. And he was trying to measure up. In fact, the answer is nobody's good compared to Jesus, who's perfect. And that's the standard by which mankind is measured. To be good, you have to be without sin. And since no one is. You know, in our world, we try to find answers in society. We waste money by forming committees to analyze the problem of human behavior. Well, all they have to do is give me the money. Lord knows I need it. Because I know the answers to their questions. We're all lost, we're all hopeless sinners, and we do what sinners do. Truth is, we're an evil generation living in an evil world. And just like everyone who's lived since Adam and Eve, apart from faith in God, no one is good or ever to be justified. So, Chuck, that's what it means. Again, there's nice people. There's people better than I am for sure. My wife is just so nice. She's so full of joy. But you know what? She's no good either apart from Christ. So that's what Romans 3 is saying, Chuck. I hope that um, satisfactorily explains. 340-9585. Here is a question from Anna. Uh, she says, 
What exactly does it mean to be a new creation in Christ? Well, Anna, I, I hope this makes sense to you. What it means is that when you give your heart to Jesus Christ, the old you literally dies, not in physical death, but spiritually. It's like you drive a stake through the heart of the old Anna. And Jesus then raises you to the newness in life. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. It means we meet Jesus and we change. We think differently. We respond differently. Uh, we treat others uh, with a heart that comes from heaven. We, we no longer care about the old person. The things that we used to do disgust us. Now, it doesn't mean that we stop doing them right away, although that would be great. But it means that when we do things that we used to do before we were saved, it breaks our heart. And Anna, this isn't your question, but that is, is my opinion, the reason there's so little power in the Christian church in the world these days is because we've forgotten what it means to grieve the heart of God. We've decided, well, we can't be perfect. Nobody can be, so I'll just do the best I can. God will be okay with that. He's not. He wants so much more for us than we want for ourselves. And the new creation in Christ actually grieves when we allow sin to interrupt our relationship with God. The person who's really new in Christ and led by the Spirit would never say, well, you know, I know I blew it, but... God understands. God wants me to be happy. The new creation would never say that. The new creation would say, Jesus, I want to please you. And that's when this whole concept of happiness turns into the biblical concept of joy. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. The new creation in Christ, Anna, wants to be with Jesus. The new creation in Christ is excited about opening his or her Bible, wanting to hear from God. The new creation in Christ actually loves going to church. When we come to church, I get to come to church tonight. When I come to church, I love being here. It's not something I have to do. It's something I get to do. Now, the old me never wanted to set foot in church. How do you explain that transformation except to say the old Ron died and Jesus created a new Ron, gave him new life? And he's suddenly this completely different person. So that's what it means to be a new creation in Christ. It does not mean, Anna, that all of your problems just suddenly go away. It does not mean that um, everything is going to be rosy and perfect. It just means that no matter what's going on in your life, you want to be with Jesus, and he makes everything that we do better. So I hope that's satisfactory, Anna. Thank you. Here's a question, a hard one from Kathy. Uh, pastor Ron, should Christians seek psychological counseling or should they trust their pastor for counsel? Uh, Kathy, I'm not speaking out of both sides of my mouth, but the answer uh, to both those things can be yes. Um, I believe with all of my heart that if God gives you the gift of teaching, and I'm talking to people as a, who are pastors, um, that's all counseling is. It's teaching the word. Um, it's it's frustrating to me when Christians don't really believe that they're qualified to counsel. 
or that God's Word doesn't have all of the answers for the problems that we're going into psychological or secular counseling for, um, I think that's the place we ought to start, all of us. Now, having said that, Kathy, there are people that come into um, um, my office for counseling that I'm not qualified to counsel because their problems are physical rather than spiritual. Now, there's still a, a, a great value and import on biblical counseling. And I'm not talking about a Christian counselor who refers to Scripture. I'm talking about teaching it. When somebody comes to me with a real problem, we open the Word. This is what it says. This is what it means. This is how you use it. But there are people whose brains, remember, we live in a fallen world. And there are people who people whose brains don't work as well as others of us. Um, we deal uh, with a lot uh, in, in this culture of, of bipolar disease, bipolar disorder. Um, we have and see schizophrenia. We see people whose uh, brains have been harmed by abuse, drug use, and, and alcohol. We've seen those kind of things happen. And that's when it becomes a medical problem. Now, let me say this. Um, I, I, I would never send somebody to a secular psychologist for counseling. Um, we had a psychologist, a dear, dear, dear woman in, in my life uh, for many, many years before she went home to be with Jesus. And she was a licensed, trained psychologist. But I know that she was going to tell people about Jesus. But I also understood that in her training, she was given... Um, a background that qualified her to talk about um, and, 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 and diagnose certain diseases and illnesses and mental conditions. Um, you give me a brain that's working well and the only counseling we ever need then is the Bible, the Word of God. But if your brain's not working well and you need therapy or counseling or medication to make it work well, then as a Christian you need to do that. Why? Because that's the way we can best serve the Lord, best bring glory and honor to the Lord. But but I think everything should be approached first from the perspective of what does the Word of God say? And then if a pastor as truly loves his people, I think at some point we have to say, you know what, I'm not able to help you. So it's time to go get checked out medically. A brain is an organ, and uh, like other organs of our body have problems, and we sir, we, we treat them medically. Um, there are times we need to treat our brains medically. But I, I, even as I say this, I want to reemphasize here, Kathy, that I believe with every ounce of my being that the Word of God has answers for every problem any of us are ever going to face. And if it takes medication to be able to understand what the Word says and to function in, uh, using what the Word of God says, then we need to take that medication to do it. But simply for secular counseling or, or to go to a psychologist, I think Christians ought to start um, at their church. Now, having said that, there's one other problem, and I'll get on to another question. One of the things the world has convinced many pastors is that we're not qualified to counsel, and honestly, counseling is not a fun thing to do. Nobody comes to counseling because everything's great in their life. 
So it's not a fun thing, and I think a lot of pastors would just rather not do it. It's easy to say, I don't have the gift to counsel, and I've known a lot of pastors who say they don't have the gift to counsel. If they don't have the gift of counsel, then they don't have the gift of teaching. They may be good public speakers, but I think it's incumbent upon us as pastors to be available to our people. We do an awful lot of counseling here. It's just too bad and it's very sad that many of us as Christians, even some pastors and some people who are identifying as Christians, they don't really believe that the Bible has the answers. Kathy, if you could see what I've seen, the Word of God can and will do, you would never seek counseling anywhere else. Anonymous says, if women are not supposed to be pastors, how do you explain a big ministry like Joyce Myers? Well, two things, Anonymous. Joyce Myers is a big ministry, you're right, but it, it's she's a false teacher. She is a horrible, horrible distorter of God's Word. She actually um, encourages uh, women being independent and and uh, you know they use very culturally accepted terms like strong and 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 uh, firm resolve those things to think well we women don't need men kind of thing. Uh, but she is a prosperity teacher, a health and wealth teacher, and the fact that she is a big or has a big ministry. Um, doesn't mean that she's teaching or, or has God's blessing. Doesn't mean she's teaching God's word. Uh, she's distorting God's word. And the reason she has a big ministry is because she is tickling ears, uh, giving people what they want to hear. Uh, the things I've heard with my own ears coming from her mouth. I, I've at times waited for lightning to strike. So hers is a ministry that I could never recommend. Now, I also want to say this. She's not a pastor. To her credit, she doesn't claim to be a pastor. She is an itinerant uh, preacher. And I would find if her teaching was true, if her teaching was uh, biblical, uh, I would have no problem with with um, a, a woman traveling um, as an itinerant preacher and, and uh, teaching people. She primarily teaches women, not exclusively, because she's invited to a lot of churches. But uh, she doesn't. She makes no um, claim to being a pastor uh, at all. Um, and the fact that, that I don't know whether your question suggests that you like her ministry, um, but um, hers is not a healthy, godly ministry at all. Um, is she saved? Probably. I don't know. But I can judge what she says in her teachings, and it's horrible, horrible stuff. So, just because somebody's big, um, because lots of people come, doesn't mean it has God's blessing. Some of the biggest churches in this country are churches that tell people what they want to hear and inundate them with false hope. And those are men and women who are going to stand before God and be judged harshly for it. So, Joyce Myers is not a ministry to be, to use as an example. 
Second Timothy chapter three says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from truth and will turn aside to myths. That explains why Joyce Meyer's ministry is a big one. Uh, one thing I, I do want to say anonymous is that uh, it, it would be foolish to say that there aren't women pastors. Uh, there are women who, who call themselves pastors. There are women who have uh, function in the job of a pastor. Um, but if the Bible is our standard, and we know it is, well, then they're not really pastors at all. They don't have God's blessing. It doesn't mean they're not gifted teachers. I, I, I sometimes get a little bit defensive, uh, Anonymous, because we've got great, great teachers here who are women. My wife is one of them. Um, Dr. Sheba is a wonderfully gifted teacher. But they teach women. They stay in their lane. They, they stay within the role that God has given them, not that what man has given them. You see, Calvary Chapel, San Antonio, this isn't Pastor Ron's church. This is God's church, and he makes the rules. So women are not supposed to be pastors. It's not because God has something against women at all. It's only because God says, this is the rule that I lay down in all of my churches. So I hope that helps. We're inside three minutes. Did I see that right? Okay, let's get one more question. Um, Natalie wants to know, did Jesus mean we have to give away our possessions in the conversation with the rich young ruler? Natalie, not at all. Uh, The reason Jesus told the rich young ruler to sell everything he had and give it to the poor uh, is because his possessions possessed him. I hope that makes sense to you. Uh, there's nothing wrong with being rich. Uh, there's nothing wrong with having a lot. Uh, however, if that's the reason you live, if that's what controls you, then Jesus can no longer be Lord of your life. So no, you don't have to give away your stuff. Uh, all you have to do is realize that it all belongs to Jesus anyway and do with it what he tells you to do. And if you understand that, then God is pleased with you. You know, Natalie, when the rich young ruler said no to Jesus, said he walked away because he had great possessions, but said he walked away really sad. It's a very strong word. How insane is that to hold on to money when in fact he could have walked away even richer by having Jesus? So no, we don't have to give away all of our stuff. Um... The rich young ruler was really close. He was talking to God himself. He recognized who Jesus was. Truth is, he cared more for his money than he cared for being right with God. So if you are selfish and if you live for money, Natalie, then maybe Jesus would say to you to sell your stuff as well. But no, we don't have to do that. God has nothing against wealth. In fact, um... There's a whole bunch of really, really, really wealthy Christians, and for the most part, it's because God can trust them with his money. So, Natalie, I hope that answers your question. Under 30 seconds, okay. No, no time for another question. Um, let me pray for you. Jesus, as people go out this weekend into your house, and they go out offering their bodies as living sacrifices. May they be your arms and your heart, looking for people that are hurting and have the answer of love for them. 
Bless your word as it goes out this weekend all over our city. Amen. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. I'll be back, Lord willing, on Monday. May the Lord bless you and keep you. You've been listening to AM 630 The Word. Thanks for tuning in. See you on Monday. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.